So welcome back to FPA. Tonight we're talking about uh, Ernest Hemingway. Um, so obviously last week we were doing George Orwell. He was a very interesting character and um, we're moving up. We're, we're trying to select. Uh, Dermot, what would you say would be our kind of selection process and, you know, who we choose? Um, obviously we've done Albert Camus and James Joyce and Dostoevsky. Orwell and now we're doing Hemingway. What, what do you think those boys have in common? Well, hi there to everyone uh, listening. Um, I think there, there are people who had extremely eventful lives and were like big, you know, in some way or another sort of had interesting, unique, sort of fascinating personalities and characters and um, had had lives that are, you know, fascinating in themselves. The, the, you know, their lives are actually almost you know, like one of their books. Um, and obviously, you know, the, there's a, a, there, we do tend to veer towards people who either have a fondness for alcohol or, um, you know, partying, living it up. You know, obviously there's a few exceptions, like Orwell, for example, was, was didn't really seem that way. But obviously, you know, people like uh, James Joyce and Hemingway and, um, I mean, I think to, to a lesser extent, Dostoevsky, but then he had, so he had obviously events like you know going to prison and you know or you know going to the gulag and uh, almost was almost going to be executed and obviously you know people that are uh, they wouldn't be just the type just to kind of sit in their their house writing without actually sort of exploring the world and actually living living life themselves you know so people basically who who, who actually have a interesting life really I would say, you know, and uh interesting personality and something maybe unique about their own personal philosophy and their their own uh way of looking at life and approaching the world. Um, you know, so big bit probably to sum it up, just like big big characters, you know. Um, I and we, we were I think great. we I think we were saying as well that like, you know, we were talking about some modern writers or or writers in the last, the last, um, you know, since Second World War, for example, and we were saying that, um, but definitely modern writers. Like we were saying that, you know, it, it doesn't exist as much anymore. This kind of celebrity of a writer, not only that, but you know, you don't have this uh, notoriety or kind of uh, not even notoriety, but kind of these these great adventures of life, like Hemingway and Orwell and stuff. They just don't happen anymore. Uh, and if they do, then, you know, we don't get to know about them as much. They aren't, like, you know, catapulted into the public eye anymore, um, which yeah. is, which is you know, we've talked about uh, Ian McEwan and being a great writer and stuff and doing a podcast about him. But, you know, like you were saying, you know, much of much of what we talk about is kind of about their, their life events and what makes them very interesting rather than about their, their prose or their approach to literature. But... Um, yeah. You know, coming back to Hemingway, I suppose he's kind of uh, he's kind of the example of that. Really, an example of uh, of an adventurous life, which you know um, people gravitate towards more than his his literature, which which of course is still very good and stuff. But um, it's adventures and it's it's an image of him being this like you know. You know, masculine, courageous character that attracts people. Um, my my first um, kind of dealings with Hemingway were um, I can't I can't remember the exact point, but you know, he's always been one of the. He's kind of like Steinbeck. He's kind of like always one of those names that were hovering about when you were a teenager. You know, people would have talked about yeah. the the great books like you know of Mice and Men by Steinbeck and uh farewell the arms and stuff by Hemingway but you would never have read them like whenever you were were a teenager well I didn't anyway um but I suppose um I remember my my brother went to Prague and uh he was over there working for a short time like he was supposed to work longer but he he he, he didn't last too long but I remember him saying that 
he knew about uh, an expat who was living there for a long time, and both of them used to look down upon this square in Prague, or you know, it was a main thoroughfare, and like the the expat who lived there a long time used to like point out the different Hemingways. It was basically these boys who were kind of like, you know, normal characters, but who tried to dress like what they would assume what Hemingway, you know, kind of interesting and windswept like. Not so much dress, like, but kind of try and match up these kind of, you know, depth of character. Like, you know what I mean? It must have been, it must have been, I think the thing that they were talking about was some kind of scarf or something with the way they wore a scarf, you know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know if Hemingway even wore scarves, like, or what way he wore them. But, you know, he's kind of that uh, that type of character. You know, that, that was my memory of him, my impressions, this kind of, masculine man that people want to be like who's you know woman love him and he's traditionally handsome and you know does all the things that you know macho men should do like hunting and fishing and all that but what what about yourself Dermot when did you first come across him? Um, very much like yourself um, and he was one of those names you, you start you start hearing when you're a, you're a teenager you know obviously we were you know whenever we're doing like english literature you, you would you would come across his name even though we didn't actually directly study him and as you say he he just kind of you were just getting that sense that he was one of the giants um you know of american literature certainly you know like you know like someone like steinbeck um and you know someone like Fitzgerald, you know one of those kind of big you know yeah sort of massive figures of the kind of early 20th century you know american literature but uh mm -hmm. basically you know i was just like yourself you know where i never you know i didn't actually start reading them as a teenager or anything you know but I, but I, but his name was always there and uh you know uh, i just had that sense you know that he was obviously someone of, of huge importance like in a, and 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 then as i got older i started sort of hearing things, you know, in different documentaries or in various, you know, say like if I was reading like a different articles on on on, on, on writing or on different writers, his name would pop up as this kind of very, uh, you know, heavy drinking, partying, you know, life loving, you know, bigger than the, you know, as one of those ones, you know, you know, is um, the life and soul of the party sort of thing. Um, so he, he kind of developed this cliché, uh, almost cartoonist, um, uh, caricature kind of image in your mind, you know, of this, just this kind of, as you say, you know, this man of action, you know, a kind of a man from a, a different time. It's like a, seems to us like a, like an antiquated age of the past that's gone forever, you know, where men would just be, you know, they would just bugger off to, uh, you know, any country they wanted at any time, you know, to for adventure. And there were, there was a sense of, you know, obviously in a time before, you know, before the internet and all that where you could kind of properly explore. And there was, there wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like uh, you would just Google uh, about a, a certain country and read about it. You know, you would just, someone like Hemingway, he wanted to, he wanted to experience somewhere he would just go there um fly off there and he, he seemed like a real free spirit and uh obviously then as a <clears throat> just as the years have gone on i've kind of got more and more interested in him and read more about him and read uh you know more of his stuff like and uh obviously his writing's amazing like but um but yeah the actual man himself uh fascinated me so much you know he, he just if you were to sort of make him up as a character yourself for for a you know for a fictional story it would kind of seem almost like too outrageous to be true you know this for someone to have that man of action adventurous side you know the macho side but also obviously had a very uh sensitive inner world you know because he you know you can tell from his writing you know he's not he he, he obviously had a, a sensitivity about, about about people and about you know he could he, he had a way then of, of then obviously articulating that in a really, you know, beautiful, exquisite way, you know, in his writing. But um, it, it can't be just a sort of big uh, brawny kind of guy. You know, he obviously had a, had the mix of, of the intellect as well. You know what I mean? 
I think you uh, you were saying it's kind of like a like a hybrid of uh, Teddy Roosevelt and uh, George Best. You know the, yeah. the kind of uh, you know get up and go of Teddy Roosevelt, determination, um, courage, man of action, and then kind of the the player George Best. You know the 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 big drinks at the bar and chasing the woman, and you know so it's it's kind of this right. real real hybrid of a kind of you know as you say kind of cartoonist macho man of the of of earlier years. You know, them boys wouldn't right. really. I suppose you know people are still like kind of caught in them figures like you know whether you know obviously the culture would be very against that nowadays you know because you know people would kind of see him as a too too chauvinist and and this white kind of uh you know white privileged man you know he was out hunting <laughs> over in africa uh you know that's a way they would perceive him nowadays but at the same time you know people are kind of secret secretly still kind of attracted to that you know alpha male kind of uh, image like you know it's just the way it is but um yeah. you know whenever whenever we talk about his his life there I mean, you know whatever you were describing him there and stuff you know he's kind of he kind of became a this idea of him becoming a voice for uh the lost generation you know in the in in the interwar years and uh, i suppose yeah. that's where he kind of fitzgerald was about then as well but he he was kind of he was kind of more in the more into kind of the, the whole jazz age and, you know, uh, decadence while, while Hemingway was in the decadence as well, but maybe a wee bit of a rougher decadence. But, um, you know, the, it, 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 you know he, he moved to Paris. But I, what I was kind of surprised about, you know, um, was that, uh, you know, you had this character who was like um, – massively you know adventurous and goes off the fight in the first world war as an ambulance driver and then ends up you know uh, carrying this italian over his shoulder and kind of seeking out action more than anything else and then you know he comes back to this small town america and it doesn't last long because you know you know he, he wants to broaden his mind and stuff and yeah. um but at the same time like you know he, he kind of he kind of gravitates towards this independence and adventure but at the same time he, he likes playing like you know sometimes he likes playing you know the husband as well like I was surprised that you know I know I know it's a different time back then and people got married younger and stuff but you know he, he got married to his first wife quite young and they were living in Paris and they didn't have much money and stuff and you know it's kind of thinking like you know if he really wanted they have the freedom and stuff that he seemed to, that his, his life seemed to be propelled towards. Like, you know, he always seemed to end up with, with women at, at early points in his life, you know, which kind of might have, you know, big commitments, like, you know, for a man who wants to run about town, like, <laughs> you know, so I was a bit surprised that, but, you know, that could come back to what you were saying that, you know, obviously, you know, you know, he was a man who, who wanted company and female company and he needed, he needed petted, like, you know what I mean? So maybe, maybe that explains it. But, uh, whenever you're looking back over his life events, Dermot, um, what, what kind of strikes you? Well, what struck you as especially interesting about the turn of events or? <clears throat> well, um, <clears throat> obviously when I was kind of, um, you know, investigating his life, I was, it seems that he was he was born off sorry born into quite a sort of well off family. I don't know exactly what level of like class you would put them, but it from from the photographs and and from reading uh, about it. Well, I suppose it, the, the dad was a doctor, like so they must have been yeah. well enough off, you know. I think he would be at definite at least upper middle class, maybe even kind of maybe even almost going into. The realms of upper class, you know, like he looked, like it, you know, they were very well off, like from from what I've seen, and uh, you know, he, he, you know, he, he looked like he had a very comfortable sort of um, in terms of materials, you, you know, material needs. Like he looked like he was, uh, you know, I, they, like they rented this house up in the up in the the lakes, like every summer for a couple yeah. of months, like you know, not everybody yeah. did that, like. Yeah, exactly. I said it was an interesting thing that they said that um, 
the first five or six years of his life, his his mother dressed him as a girl. I had said that that was mad too. I was really surprised at that because obviously you know yeah. the way it turned out. But apparently they they mentioned on the documentary that he um that that was like a thing back in the Victorian times, like you know, oh, uh, right. and the, and you know in the early sorry and and the early Edwardian times, you know that what that that mothers would do that. So it's, uh, it seems very bizarre now, like yeah, but um. But uh, yeah, the, the the I was struck by the I was kind of thought it was kind of very charming and um, endearing the way he fell in love with that that older nurse, you know, in mm. um, in, in Milan. There seemed to be like when you see him when he was young, he's obviously you know he, he's very handsome, dashing young man. You can you can you can see why a woman would 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 sort of fall fall, fall head over heels for him. Like, but he seemed to be have a very romantic side back then even like mm. kind of fully romantic you know a bit a bit naive you know where he he uh so he fell in love with her but she wasn't really um she didn't feel as deeply into it because she was about worried about the age difference because she was about seven or eight years older and uh, uh, you know at that in those days that was a massive age difference like um you know she would have been expected to have already been married with kids by then but um uh, apart, I also, I thought it was a bit touching that he, apparently, for, throughout his life, he kind of uh, felt that um, that uh, that that his actual first wife. So it was after that, after the the brief time with the nurse, his actual first first wife, the one that he spent most of his time with her in uh, Paris. He said, apparently, that was like his the, the only real true love of his life. You know, he always kind of pined for her. Uh, throughout his life, but I was struck by how you know he's gone off to you know to Italy because you can sit, you can you can sense a guy he's very young and restless and he's hungry to see the world and to get involved in things you know to to make a mark and kind of sink his teeth into life you know so you know he as a kind of rich middle class kid he you know he he could have easily avoided the war like he didn't he probably didn't even have to go. Um, you know, he he kind of seeked it out to go to over to Italy, and um, it was uh, he actually it was I thought it was interesting. He, he came so close to actually dying there uh, after only a few, after only a few days of action because he was he was getting bored of being in the ambulance team, and then he, he he got moved to the front line, and then within like a few days he was almost killed, and and. Uh, in a massive explosion with the Germans, and um, I, it's it's a wonder he wasn't like you know um, maimed for the rest of his life because it's some some kind of mad number of pieces of shrapnel like you know entered his body it, like I something like about fifty pieces of shrapnel uh, went into his leg and uh, it took him about four months to recover. But I think I think because he was a young, healthy man, like it, uh, uh, the, he he sort of. Uh, like the the and they were able to get the shrap now. I think it didn't really leave any kind of re, you know uh, anything that was too debilitating. Like, um, but the list of things that happened to him in terms of you know you, you're talking about you know that. But then there was also um, you know obviously uh, there was a time it was I was reading about it where it said uh, he accidentally shot himself in the shoe in the foot sorry while shark hunting. And he was clawed by a lion, and a massive skylight fell on his head, and he and he and he had malaria, dysentery, but all these things he, he survived. So he had it, it gave him this air of invincibility. You know, he seemed like the proper, the ultimate like alpha male. You know what I mean? You know, almost like a sort of cartoon version of a male, where it's like you know he he kind of he's indestructible, like a kind of a Superman. You know. Um, you know, it's kind it's kind of funny that like you know he got this idea and then you know you're talking about that and then you see the pictures of him kind of bare chested with the chest puffed out like even even yeah. when he even when he's older like uh, because yeah. when he when he's younger like he's kind of a bit more slight like you know what I mean obviously when yeah, he's that's... older he puts on a bit of beef and stuff like yeah and i mean some of the stories like it some of the stories are stuff that you know it's just legendary stories you know like where he would he he, he was in some fishing competition i think it was in cuba and he uh and he i think he won the competition but then he challenged 
he said like anybody who wanted the like the trophy had to challenge That's him right, to three, three rounds of boxing, or and and like someone would have to beat him, and he you know he must have he must have been able to beat up anybody who challenged him. But like stories like that, it's like it reminds me of like. It's like the kind of, it reminds you of those old, like, you know, those kind of old, like, comics and stuff from, you know, from back in the day where they're about these, you know, these men of action, you know, who were kind of, they could Popeye. do anything, you know. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, if you, they can, they can, they can kill any animal, they can beat anybody up, they can drink anybody under the table, they can get any woman, you know, basically like a, like a kind of mix of like James Bond where he's Superman type thing, you know, and Tarzan or, you know, he's it's, it's, it's funny, like, you know, because, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, you would, uh, you would think that a character like that would come from a very, like, kind of macho background, but that, you know, yeah. it's whenever you read in his life and stuff, apparently, well, this is, this is what the, what the critics have said and what, what biographers have said that, you know, his wife was, his, his mother was quite domineering over his father. And, yeah. um, and he was kind of a bit annoyed by that because the mother was supposed to be an opera singer and then she had six children. So she had to kind of retire and they'd be in a, a domestic wife, like, and, um, so maybe she felt she was a bit scorned about that. And, um, right. you know, Hemingway was obviously a bit annoyed about that. So maybe his, his masculinity was kind of amplified. But it, it didn't really, you know, this amplified masculinity, you know, as you were saying, it does become a bit of a caricature, you know, and I suppose he uses it to good effect. But, um, you know, it does, it, you know, with the woman and stuff, like it was mentioned earlier, it doesn't really bode well for him because like you know he, he repeatedly gets married you know obviously and then he he settles with his fourth wife but uh, you know he, he's he's kind of a lot of women you know a lot of people have said that you know he was you know he was a woman hater and then his books and stuff it's all about men and stuff so you know he didn't really tone it down he didn't seem to tone it down when he was in relationships and and what i'm saying is that the masculinity that kind of defined him was eventually you know it was it was kind of beaten down by all these relationships because obviously like you know they they would have an effect on him like you know because he wasn't, you know, although he's kind of, if you look at his timeline and the pattern of his life, he's kind of this hidden run character who who kind of goes from one place to another. But, you know, he had three children and he seemed to have quite a, quite a good relationship with them and spent time with them as much as possible. But, you know, so obviously it was quite, as you, as you referred to as well, quite a sensitive character. So, you know, in the end he does... You know, that's that's what I noticed whenever you're talking about, you know, what's interesting about him is he's not really a good example of someone getting old at all because all the things, you know, the alpha male and, and, and you know, offering boys they box three different rounds, you know, it's 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 complete madness. Like but he did this like um, you know, whenever he couldn't do that, it was like it wasn't a it wasn't a good picture at all, you know, it wasn't um it didn't grow grow old well at all. Once once all that um, you know young energy left him, then he he was kind of like a bit of a you know comical figure in an opposite sense, kind of like a more of a sad comical figure rather than a, an entertaining one. But I uh, know I agree. But but to be fair, you know there was those two those two massive plane crashes. You know that mm. that basically that were that, that were the that that was the point where. You know that that's the clear point where everything changed with him as a person. And I well, yeah, you could be right, man. I you know I, I need the I know what you mean because oh, yeah. they had, they had a massive effect on his both his mental and physical well being. I well, he was you know he they like he he had to um, he had to headbutt he had to headbutt the uh, the plane door to 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 ram it open. And um, after one of the crashes, they I mean, they save everyone, like so, and it gave a massive uh, head damage. It actually fractured his skull, and in that in those in that same plane crash, he think he like had you know um, damaged his spleen, his his ribs, and you know his legs, and um, really like basically kind of um, you know 
basically left them pretty much disabled, you know. But but the but the biggest damage was to his brain. Obviously, as a writer, you know, as a man of of a, who relies on his mind, his sharp mind, um, for that to happen. Because then the thing is that the, after those plane crashes and various different people who were close to him dying, like his mother, um, obviously years before his dad had had committed suicide, um, his his second wife died as well. But his this all publisher as well. His publisher as well, yeah. And and but the thing, the real killer, the thing that I think really absolutely destroyed him was when he started getting electro uh, electro shock uh, yeah. uh, therapy for for his depression. You know, and this is a man, as I say, his brain is 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 his is his absolute gift. Um, once you once that got destroyed. Because that destroyed his memory, which, as a writer, was absolutely essential, you know, to his writing. Once then he was basically um, destroyed intellectually. It was only a matter of time then before he was going to, going to, you know, he was he was he was he was determined to kill himself. Because uh, he, you know, as a writer, as a lifelong writer, um, who had won, you know, a Nobel Prize. For literature, who won Pulitzer prizes for his books, for him then to lose that that gift, it just was too much. He, you know, it was a life not worth living for him. Um, for me, I think that was what really pushed him over the edge. You know, the electroshock treatment. You know, I, the, no, you could be, you could be right. Like you know, um, it does really. You know, in those those last couple of years, whether you know the the plane crashes were the onset or. You know, I'd have to look closer at the timeline, but he really does. You know, there is a, you know, the the plane crashes and then the um, electrotherapy, and then you know he's drinking a lot more and he's got depression and stuff. He really does go downhill. Uh, maybe it was the plane crashes that kind of knocked the gusto, you know, the gusto out of his out of his personality. But at the same time, he was up until that point, like you know. He had he had great successes earlier on, like with uh, the sun also rises, and then farewell to arms, and to him the bell tolls. But um, you know he had gone through a long sustained period where he hadn't really produced anything that good. I think he he wrote one book. I can't remember what it's called, but it really went down badly. And then he pulled one out of the bag. He pulled the old man and sea, uh, which I haven't actually yeah. read, um, which is very famous and and children like teenagers in, in Ireland and I'm sure in America read it as well during during high school. But um you know so it, it does it does come back but it it, it is a kind of sad end. But before we, we jump ahead there's you know he, uh, he he's he's in Paris as we were saying and he's got a great life there. He's married and stuff but he's on the on the left bank and mix him with all these different characters and then uh, he writes the sun also rises which is a big break for him. Um, what happens to him after Paris, Dermot? Where, where does he head then? Well, after Paris, he he, um, he heads back to America for a while. But he's on the um, he was living in the Florida area, but he was so it was quite he was quite close to Cuba. But and what they would do is they would there was a great area area beside there where um, where they could do really you know great fishing. And he, he fell in with a lot of, um, you know, just uh, more working class kind of fishermen type people who people who were, you know, seafaring men, and uh, you know they were very different from the kind of the cafe intellectuals of the left bank of Paris, but that that sort of that had a massive influence on him meeting all those 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 characters, you know, with the fishing. But then um, he then ended up, uh, you know falling in love with uh, with Cuba and you know then he he had his his, his great period uh, in Havana well close to Havana he would he deliberately chose to kind of live a bit outside the main area of Havana so so he could get his writing done but then in the in the evenings he would um, you know he would he would be partying in the in Havana itself you know all the different casinos and nightclubs and bars but um no yeah he, he I don't think he, he doesn't seem to have really particularly liked living in America that much. Um, you know, you know, he did end up, 
living there for a while, but he's, I think Havana had a massive effect on him, um, or, you know, Cuba in general. I, I think I think it was part of the you know the the weather affected him too. Like you know, I'd say yeah. he obviously didn't. But you know, whenever he was in America, as you were saying, he he lived down in Florida Keys, like you know, and um, you know whatever we talked about, like you know, the kind of tragic elements of of all those people dying kind of consecutively, and him the plane crashes, and him becoming depressed and stuff. You know, you have to remember that this was a man who had a massive, massive passion for life. Like, you know, and it was kind of contagious even watching him. Like, you know, this was a man who spent days and days and days doing what he loved doing. You know, whether it was out fishing and like, you know, down in the Caribbean, like, you know what I mean? With his own boat and with all these bunch of characters and probably drinking every night and having a great time. Or else it was like, you know, going off to these foreign countries and getting yourself involved in all different types of adventures. You know, this was a man who who really, whenever he was at his peak, like, he he, he loved life, like, you know. And uh, so it's a, he's a great inspiration in that sense. You know, whenever we were talking about Orwell, we were talking about, you know, you know it was admirable because, you know, he, he kind of stuck to his guns and, you know, he wasn't... It was very down the earth and kind of straightforward about what I believed in. But Hemingway is is obviously he's a he's a big colourful character, but he's very, you know, his his passion's kind of contagious, like, you know, and the whole idea about like I like I like his idea that, you know, you know, he talks about bullfighters and stuff and um you know, it's he's kind of centered on this idea. One of his books is centered on this idea of like the bullfighter dying in the ring when he's kind of and surprisingly enough, Teddy Roosevelt kind of had a similar idea. You know, the man in the arena, the poem, and um, yeah. this idea that whenever you're in the the pinnacle of engagement at your at your best, then you know it's it's quite a graceful time to die. Like you know, and that, I, I like that idea a lot, and. You know, just like you were saying, he, he went to so many places, you know, Africa and Cuba, and, and he was a great traveler. Like, he actually he lived in these countries rather than just passing through them and, you know, became acquainted with locals and stuff. But um, you you reckon that it was just that he kind of had to, he, he placed himself in the line of fire too many times, Um that eventually it was caught out. Is that what you think happened to him, you know, after the plane crashes and stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, these were, ma- these were major plane crashes. I mean, the, the, the second one was, was, was widely reported worldwide as, as him getting killed. That's how mm. serious the plane crash was. Um, I think there, were, there was actually some, you know, obituaries uh, in various like major newspapers and front page headlines, you know, declaring you know Hemingway's dead, you know, um, you know, so you can clearly see, you know, in terms of the the course of his life, the trajectory of his life, that after those plane crashes, he was never the same, absolutely never the same, um, completely just destroyed him. Um, he after those plane crashes at at various times he he actually was 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 caught you know about to kill himself you know he was at various suicide attempts you know his wife would find him holding a shotgun and she had to you know take it off you know get it you know get him to stop and then there was a famous occasion where um it's very sad where he was uh, getting off an airplane somewhere in an airport and he he ran towards another one that was. That, you know, towards the propeller to try to kill himself, and uh, he, had be, he had to be physically pulled back. So this, could, uh, you know, so if you imagine the amount of pain and suffering he must be going through to be at the stage where he, where where he he's in that mental uh, condition, you know, where he's doing things like that. Um, I think, as I said before about the electro uh, electroshock therapy, I think that had a massive thing. But um, you know, it. He wasn't helped, obviously, by the fact that him and his wife were massive drinkers. You know, it said um, he was drinking a, a quart of whiskey a day. I had to look up what a quart was. I was, was going to look it up myself. Aye. Uh, 
it's basically it would be over one liter of whiskey Jeez. a day. You know, that's a tea. So obviously, it was a common. It's kind of like um, it's like a build up of different things, you know, because everything like um, it's like a sort of a avalanche of things because you know, um, a snowball effect where you know because of the because he's physically less mobile, then he's he's let he's then he's just sitting at home eating more and he's getting he's getting more and more overweight. And he's got, and he gets diabetes, and then he gets, he's getting health problems from the diabetes. He's got hypertension, high blood pressure, all these different things. So it's a combination. And obviously, he there was a very sad moment where I thought it was very poignant. Where um, he's um, he was asked by one of his big fans, who was uh, JF JFK, you know, John F Kennedy, the president. He was asked to write, write something, you know, for his inauguration. In, uh, I think it was 1961, right, uh, and um, this is actually very, this is very shortly before he ended up, uh, you know, uh, committing suicide. But because um, what happened was he, he, apparently it took him over a week to just write one paragraph for uh, for 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 the president Kennedy, and he was he was so he was just so distraught by the fact that he it was like a. He was this had been this wonderful genius writer who had basically lost all lost all his powers. Um, he could he could barely you know put together a sentence anymore, and that was a lot of people think that kind of tipped him. That's what tipped him over the edge, you know, because he knew that it wasn't going to be a case where he was going to magically sit sit down and write another masterpiece or even write another good book. Uh, to be honest, at that stage, he, he wouldn't have even been capable of writing a book at all, um, or it cer- certainly wouldn't have been a wouldn't have been a you know a, a proper Hemingway book in terms of his normal high standards. You know, he the electroshock therapy had had basically f- fried his brain. Um, you know, it destroyed him. It destroys um, his faculties. You know, like his his intellectual. Uh, ability, his memory, his, all his faculties. So, you know, it, it basically turned him in. It turned him into a bit, a bit of a, a vegetable, basically. Uh, and he wasn't. He wasn't. Or oh, sorry, I was just. I was just going to say he wasn't helped by the fact that his his wife was also a, a raging alcoholic. You know, so it was a bit of a mess. Like you know. I. Um, uh, that's I. He really like uh, the whole thing. Really gets bad towards the end. But um, and then you had you had the gun you had those guns lying about and she she refused she she didn't want to you know hide them or lock them up so you've got a combination of a heavily depressed man who's suicidal who's who's an alcoholic and uh, and and massive guns everywhere it's not going to it's not going to end well you know that combination you know what I mean. No, it seemed it seemed like a wee bit of a, there was a destructive element to it, but uh, you know, whenever he talking about his prose, like you know, and the way he wrote, um, you know, whenever he write his stuff, obviously it was kind of you know, it was, it was you know, people say it was kind of you know inventive because you know he was doing he was doing more with less, you know. There's this kind of whenever you read his stuff. Um, it's very good, like you know, whenever you read descriptions and it creates a snapshot, and there's this idea. I think Hemingway even said it himself of the iceberg theory, you know, um, of the in his writing, like you know, it's quite it's quite straightforward. But the snapshot of different images kind of makes a collage of images. But um, there is yeah. this kind of I don't know whether you, you you got the feeling as well, but there is a feeling of kind of there is a feeling of kind of you know, purity and kind of almost highbrow truthfulness about it that sometimes it reads very well and it's very, um, you know, captivating and engaging. But at the same time, there is a bit of a performance in it that kind of taints the the idea of truthfulness. Did you pick up on that? Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, I did, yeah. But, you know, I, I I love the I love the quote the famous quote he said about his writing where in his early days where he he, he says he, he all he wanted to do was just write one true sentence 
Mm. And you know, and you know that idea of um, that minimal style, as you say, where less is more. And um, you know, he says, you know, the the advice that he got from remember when he was writing for a Chicago newspaper, they, they gave him all this writing advice mm. and kind of rules. And he said that was like the best writing advice he ever got. It was about That's it was right. about writing in a succinct, you know, writing style. But but yeah, I totally get what you mean. Where it seems like. Um, it's uh, because he's, you know, trying to write and that's kind of... It's almost a bit posy, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, yeah. Uh, I mean, he, the, the, there is definitely an element of that, but, um, you know, he, I suppose, um, you know, in terms of the, the literary academics, they, they consider that he, can, he created like a new style. Mm. And I, I remember he, he said that they, that he said the critics called a new style, but for him, it was just his awkwardness, you know, right. of writing, you know, that, that um, his, because he, he you know, he, he had a, he, he kind of didn't find it particularly easy at the start that, that that kind of awkward style became, like was kind of seen as this new breakthrough, this new breakthrough style that um, you know, that was very different from the kind of high literary style of someone like James Joyce. Um, so it became like almost like a kind of American style that was like in that was uh, in opposition, you know, to the style of you know so the, the European kind of mm. style, or you know, you know the more, you you know the more. Uh, highfalutin uh, sort of complex style of someone like Joyce yeah. uh, you know you would, you would, you would wonder what, what Hemingway thought of, thought of uh, Ulysses you know um, I suppose in that way he, he has a bit of a similarity to, to Orwell so Orwell was a, a big man for um, but I, you know, that's, that's like, who I was actually but, thinking of. But Orwell was a lot more, he wasn't as posy with, you know what I mean? He was more kind of yeah. gritty. He's more gritty than, you know, kind of uh, the way the way Hemingway was. But, you know, it's still um, still very interesting. Good good reading. Um, I've got to read more of his books, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, it's, it's all... Uh, it's all similar themes to what the what was kind of coming out of American literature at the time. You know, I suppose the whole idea of the the personal conquest. You know, that was that was big on yeah. you know the, the American narrative in general. But uh, you know, whenever whenever he, your your overall opinion of him, Dermot, like you know, do you kind of you know obviously kind of think well and you're attracted to this idea of him being this you know super uber kind of alpha male but what's your you know it's very hard to say really because you don't know these people really you know it's hard to say you know it'd be very nice to say that well you know he was this alpha male but really he was deep down sensitive <laughs> you know what i mean when when yeah. he when he mightn't have been like you know he might have been he might have been a bastard in, in his private life as well but uh, what's what's your takeaway from um, from uh, Hemingway? Um, a man who who he 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 wanted he he very much wanted to really live like genuinely live um, in a way that you know people talk about you know to you know but but people very rarely do to the extent that he did. Um, you know, a man he he's seen so many different parts of the world, met so many different people, and generally, you know, although there, there there's all the stories of drinking and womanizing, but generally, the all the people who kind of knew him still, or you know, even people who just met him, they they generally say he was a very, you know, uh, you know, a, a nice guy to talk to and entertaining, and uh, and and the, in terms of the actual people. Like like his wives and his kids, he he did seem to have an, uh, you know, a, a good side to him, you know, where he was a, he could be a good person, you know. But obviously, like like anybody else, you know, he's a complex individual. Um, my general impression is is very good of him, you know. Um, I I, I feel that his his end was was massively uh, impacted by the you know 
by the by the plane crash and the electroshock therapy. You know, um, well, actually, one one of the line, one of the one of his passages that I really liked. I was just going to uh, let our listeners hear. Um, there's a, it's kind of shows his, you know, his 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 uh, more sort of philosophical, um, poetic side. He said, "If if if people bring so much courage to this world, the world has to kill them to break them. So of course it kills them. The world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places." But those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good, and the very gentle, and the very brave impartially. I, I like that, but um, and then it's it's. I read the first. I read the same passage um, earlier on, and uh, there's there's another wee line to it at, at the end of that passage. It says something like, "And those who don't have any of these things, um, mm. death death will get them too, but it won't be in any special hurry." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's quite good. But no, it's 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 very good there, man. You know, it's kind of like um, it it broke him. You know what I mean? Life definitely yeah. broke him. You know, I think uh, whether that respect he talks about in the B passage for life, and you know that it's going to get you in the end, and I, you know, it it really did get him. Like he 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 kind of held it in his hand and toyed with it for a long time and escaped death, you know, and, and, and was present during two world wars, was actually in the, on the battlefield, like, um, but at the same time, you know, the whole, you know, it, it just caught up with him. Like that's the impression I got whenever I look back in his life, you know, whether it was the two plane crashes in Africa or, or the alcohol depression, or you know the electrotherapy, or just getting old. It's quite interesting. Like you know, you mentioned his dad earlier committed suicide, and you know the story yeah. about his dad. You know, he was a he was a doctor, and um, he 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 woke up one morning, and he, he might have been quite old himself, but uh, he had a pain in his foot, and because he was a doctor, he believed he knew what it was, and. He decided to commit suicide because he, he kind of foreseen how, how bad it could have been, whether or not he was correct or not. Who knows? But it kind of it kind of sums up Hemingway as well because you know it's kind of like you know it's almost animalistic. You know, once your once your powers or you know your the powers that have kind of driven you throughout your whole life, you know, your mobility and your your energy as a man or as a woman. And then once they start to one, then like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the things that you live for kind of fade away a bit, you know. Um yeah. and that's that's the impression I got off him. Um, you know, whenever you see these pictures of him going to the Second World War, um, and he's kind of and he goes back to Spain as well and he's he's honored. Um you know, in Pamplona and stuff and different places in Spain really and Italy as well he's honored. It just doesn't, you know. I don't think he looks good parading himself as an old man. Even in the Second World War, he was kind of like a kind of correspondent, but he yeah. he had he had this kind of giddy kind of giddy kind of like interest to get involved. And there was a story about him throwing a grenade down some SAS um, tunnel. And but whenever you see photos of him, he's kind of wearing a cap and he's got glasses and he's kind of like you know, he's just kind of past it, like <laughs> you know what I mean. But then you, yeah. the the story is is that his third wife was also at at the same war, but she was in the front line. She was a correspondent as well, but she was yeah, she yeah. was getting involved in the action and he was raging and it was a bit of competition, which kind of yeah. sums up this whole idea that. You know, he, he didn't really want to let go of his youth, you know, which you can't blame him really. Like, but um, that 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 passage that you quoted, it's that that kind of sums him up for me because he was a man that was broken by life, despite you know his best attempts at trying to escape it and and fight and and you know and and be this big masculine man who kind of take nature on, you know. Yeah. Well, I suppose he, you know, in terms, there was an interesting um, thing that I read about him where, you know, you're saying about his dad, you know, committing suicide, but there was actually, um, they, they, there was a lot of other suicides in his, in, in his wider family tree, you know, his, um, uh, his, his dad's sister committed suicide 
and I think his I think his one of his dad's brothers committed suicide as well. So the one one of the one of the Hemingway sons was was kind of joking that um, saying, you know, we were wondering how, how long a Hemingway would live. You know, um, there seemed to be there seemed to be that kind of history of kind of mental illness in the family. And I think there was a very interesting thing as well that was that, that I read about whereby there was researchers looking at, you know, the first few drafts of his Nobel uh, Prize winning accept, you know, acceptance speech. At first, a few, a, some of the first drafts were, were very dark and they mentioned um, – about how writing was like the loneliest mm. pursuit of a man, except for suicide. And this this is even before the plane crashes, and it shows you that to mention that in a in a sort of an, uh, to be even thinking about that in a in an acceptance speech, he ended up not not using that part. But it just mm. shows that his mind was he definitely had a dark side, you know, in his mind, you know, where it seemed like something like suicide was, was sort of something that was in, in his conscience, you know. Um, well, that's it. When his dad, is it, uh, you know, this is what people say in a way, apparently said, I'll probably go out the same way, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, it shows that I think, I think there might be, a, and obviously I'm just, I'm just sort of speculating because obviously we, we, we didn't know the man, but I think a part of it is, with his suicide is that he's such a man of pride mm. that to spend his last knowing that he's going to spend his last few years just as a kind mm. of a shriveled up uh, you know like a vegetable a kind of a pathetic excuse of what he used to be I think yeah. for him for his sort of macho pride and his you know his image of himself and his image that he that he wanted you know projected I think that prospect of those bleak future years was just too much for him. Like, you know, you know, he just saw the decline uh, and it was all going to be downhill from there, you know. And, um, you know, obviously it's speculation, you know, who, who knows, but uh, it was, it's very, it is very, very, very sad how it all ended. But, um, you know, but overall, you know, he, he's, 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 he lived one of the greatest lives you can, you can imagine or you mm-hmm. can read about. You know, uh, uh, you, you were talking about that speech that he made, or the the Nobel Prize speech. It's interesting. I just had it in front of me whenever you were talking about it, and um, he, you know, uh, he does still mention a lonely life, but he doesn't tie it in with suicide, as you were saying. But um, yeah. what what he does say, and it comes back to what you were saying about him living this great life, which he really did like, live. Like you know, whenever you see photographs of him out there out there in the Caribbean and Cuba and, and Florida yeah. and he's fishing and then pictures of him in Paris, you know, and, and sitting out in these terraced, um, you know, cafes and, you know, full of youth and life and possibility. Like, you know, what a, what a life. Eh? But the, the, the quote that actually, you know, it's quite obviously went over this many times and drafted it and it's quite telling because it kind of really sums up what his whole life was about. You know, he says, uh, for a true writer, each book should be a new beginning where he tries again for something that is beyond attainment. He should always try for something that he has never done or that others have tried and failed. And sometimes with great luck, he will succeed. How simple the writing of literature would be if it were only necessary to write in another way of what has been well written. It is because we had such great writers in the past that a writer is driven far out past where he can go out to where no one can help him. So like this whole idea that each book should be a new experience and that, that kind of sums up his life really, you know, because yeah, it kind of was in the moving on to the next thing, you know, and that kind of kept him going you know, it they go well, really. It all these wee fragments of different lives, you know, which kind of energize them. But in the end, they go well as well. You know, physically, um, or and mentally, it kind of wore them down and just just broke them, um, like that passage says. But um, any any final comments, Dermot, on on Hemingway? Um, I just think that you know, for for. For him to have got involved in uh, three major wars, you know, the obviously the both world wars and, and, and the Spanish Civil War, I think it shows that he he kind of wanted to put himself in the thick of where the action was, you know, in terms of um, 
whatever major thing was happening in the world, he wanted to be in some way kind of posing his influence on it, if you know what I mean, right to be actually in it. I think he, you know, he, he seems like quite a complex figure, um, you know, and uh, he's someone that, you know, you, 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 you're very thankful that someone like him actually existed. Um, just overall, I think he, you know, he was, he's, he's someone that uh, he, he's going to be remembered for a very long time in the future. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, as we had talked about previously, there's not really people like him anymore. So, his legacy and the legacy of people like him and the lives they lived, those adventurous lives, are going to seem more and more special to us as time goes on, because we we live in a world increasingly where that's less and less possible to live that kind of life. You know, we're not going to be fighting in any world wars. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> so um, well, maybe maybe not less and less possible, just less and less likely. Maybe you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be in the fighting in world wars, but I wouldn't mind, like you know, heading off to all these different places that I went, like you know, just yeah. on a just on a whim, as you say, you know, we headed off to Africa and you know, done this and that. You know, it's kind of funny, you know, what you kind of get into this. Most people do like that's why you were saying that you know there's not many people like him anymore because people get into this way of living where that becomes kind of an impossibility but it doesn't really become an impossibility it just becomes less likely because of the choices you make you know yeah well you know yeah of course people normally you know normally when you have when you are married with kids and uh, uh, you know you you would you would kind of imagine someone would be kind of thinking well i can't really just kind of go off and do my own thing you know because you know, because I have all these responsibilities, but he he wasn't really in that kind of mindset. You know, he he um he was he was a real kind of free spirit. But um, you know, he interesting thing is as well. He he actually, I think he 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 thought that he was going to be returning to Cuba because that that the, his place in Cuba was the place was the house that he had lived in the longest, and he had actually left most of his stuff there. I actually was watching a, a documentary about it where, you know, the house is basically left the way it was, you know, back when he was living so there. And it was, uh, it looked like, you know, it was left like someone who was intending to come back. And, uh, you know, but, um, you know, it's, he's, he's an extraordinary, intriguing uh, person and, uh, you know, really fascinating man. And, uh, you know, you know, he, he, he really... Although he was born into quite a well-to-do background, but he was still, still in a way, as a self-made man, in a you know, in, in a sense mm. that he he basically just you know he just started off writing for a local you know for like a newspaper right, and then uh, yeah you know and uh, obviously you have to get your you have to get your breaks as well and he he had but you earn your own luck but he he had the good fortune of uh, Fitzgerald. The obviously the famous writer recommended him to um, Scribbler, the um, the publishers, and then that 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 was that sent him on his way because that's when he, he wow. published like his break his breakthrough novel. But you know, so you know, he and, and then you know, obviously he ended up hanging out with people like uh, Gary Cooper, the famous actor, and Marlene Dietrich, the the actress, and you know, he made himself like this this massive worldwide star, but. Yeah, it's very interesting what you're saying that you don't really have literary figures that are so sort of famous now. You know, where you know the, uh, probably the closest one we have now is someone like the Harry Potter writer, you know, um, J.K. Rowling. But you know, I would, I would, I would definitely probably consider her less of a talented writer. No, <laughs> I, I was going to say we should do her next week, eh? <laughs> <laughs> But I, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up at that, man, and uh, we'll, we'll be back soon enough with another, another interesting character or another interesting topic. Um, definitely, it's, it's, it's wide open. But uh, thanks very much for joining us anyway, Dermot. No, my, my pleasure. And thank, thanks, thanks also um, for everyone for listening and uh, look forward to the next one.
Are you are you heading off to pour yourself a, a beer in memory or a quart of whiskey in memory of Ernest? Uh, I might might go out on the might go out on the river and start uh, you know catching a few swordfish. That's you know, a, uh, it's a, uh, why not? Give it a, give it a go, lad. Probably <laughs> probably a few dirty yeah. nappies in the Thames. <laughs> A few old shoes and boots. Yeah. Uh, hey, <laughs> hey, thanks for thanks for tuning on, everybody, and uh, check out our podcast. You can get it on Buzzsprout um, for for many more episodes. Um, so thanks for tuning in. See you next time, Dermot. See ya. Thanks.